If you like listening to my conversations with interesting people, you'll love listening to them or watching them on Nebula, the creator-owned streaming service where you can get access to these interviews early and ad-free, as well as bonus episodes from my YouTube channel and exclusive series you can't find anywhere else. Sign up for Nebula by clicking the link in the description or go to nebula.tv slash conversations with Joe to support the podcast and help promote content that matters. Hello and welcome to the Answers with Joe podcast. This is Joe Scott and today I'm sharing my interview with Sean Webb. Sean is the author of the book Mind Hacking Happiness, The Quickest Way to Happiness and Controlling Your Mind. And I've been really excited about talking with Sean for a while now. I've been following him for several years. He had a podcast and a YouTube series called I Am Spirituality, where he talked about, well, spirituality, but from more of a science aspect, from more of a neuroscience uh, angle. And he's, he's kind of like an enlightened dude. And you'll hear more about this in his um in his interview here, but he's somebody who approaches this stuff from a very practical standpoint, from a very science-based standpoint, and he doesn't hit you over the head with, you know, crazy woo-woo theories and stuff like that, although he can go into woo-woo territory a little bit, but even he acknowledges that, you know, this is, uh, this is not mainstream stuff when he goes there. I actually contacted Sean uh, a while back when I was going through some, some of the stuff that I talked about in my video that I did about panic and anxiety issues. And I reached out to him and he never met me, never heard of me. My channel was totally small at the time. I don't think he even knew it existed. And he helped me out quite a bit. He responded. We had a little bit of back and forth through email and, and he didn't have to do that. And I always really appreciated that he did. So to be able to come back later on now that I have, you know, a little bit of an audience and stuff and share his story in his book, which he just uh, finished recently, with the world is really exciting to me. And I, I really enjoy talking to him. I think you would be not surprised to see him show up again because uh, he actually shared some stories on email afterwards that didn't come out in our conversation that I thought would be really fascinating for all of you guys. It has to do with AI and that kind of stuff. But um, I will go right into it though. I'll stop stammering, but first, Yes, I know, I'm going to talk about Canker Boy again. Actually, there's been over a thousand people who have tried Canker Boy, so why don't I let one of them talk about it this time? Hey, my name is Leslie, and I was a lifelong sufferer of canker sores until cankerboy.com came along. If I don't have a little one in there, I've got a couple of small ones, or I've got a bouquet of them, and I'm in terrible pain. But once the caplets came and I um, bit a huge chunk out of my cheek, which would have resulted in a huge hole, me being in pain, a swollen face, the whole thing. But happily, nothing happened. I don't think any of this is a coincidence. Because like I said, I'm usually a person who has a canker sore, if not three or whatever, and I've had none in a month and a half. Would I recommend this product? Not only would I recommend it, it's the only thing, and I dare to say it's even like a cure. I get comments in my video about this all the time asking if it actually works. Well, there's your answer, and it might work for you, and if it doesn't, you'll get your money back. I just want people to try it, because I know how it feels like to have nothing work, and you feel like you're stuck with this curse that never goes away. I know how hopeless that feels, and I want to help people out with that. So spread the word. That's cankerboy.com, C-A-N-K-E-R-B-O-Y.com. Now here's today's episode. So how are things going with the book so far? Um, good, man. We haven't even started uh, promoting it yet. 
um, you know, we've got a big plan that we're going to put together of mm. uh, throwing out a Mind Hacking Happiness podcast. Um, and then we're going to do some online promotion for the book and some contests and stuff like that. And we just, I uh, just got a copy of the second book. This is the first one, of course, from, you're mm -hmm. probably familiar with that one, but just got a copy of the second one, which has now been out for a couple of days and should be live on Amazon in a couple of days. So by the time this airs, it'll be live and cool. you can go get it. And yeah. So all your marketing so far has just kind of been through email lists and stuff like that. Yeah. Just kind of people have been friends for years. word of mouth. And you know, we wanted to make sure that like you go through four rounds of editing on this stuff and you still find typos like after the sure. fourth round of editing. So um, we're, we've just um, finally figured out that we don't have any mistakes left in the red book and hopefully that there aren't any in the blue book, but uh, yeah, so we're going to, we're going to start the marketing push on it pretty soon and just, you know, to get it into people's hands. I mean, we wanted to, we wanted to put this stuff out so it could help people, you know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. they can't help them if they don't know about it. Well, I would hold up my book, but it's on my iPad. <laughs> so, not as impressive, especially my iPad's like five years old. So it's really not impressive. Uh, <laughs> But uh, so I've been following you for a while, back from your I Am Spirituality days. I mean, yeah, I, is man. That, is that kind of a, is that gonzo now? or? or? Well, that was kind of the beta test for, for this stuff, really. I mean, um, the way this whole thing started was, um, you know, like about 2001 or 2002, somewhere way back then, I had this this epiphany, this awakening, right? This yeah. um, quote unquote enlightenment experience. And so... From that, I got all the information that I needed to write this book or to write these books and to start putting out information about, you know, here's how your pain and suffering works. Here's how mm -hmm. to kind of sidestep that and yada, yada, yada. But it was all theory back then, right? It wasn't based on science or, or anything like that. It was just like, oh, Sean says it's this way. <laughs> and so that was the I am spiritual. So. Right, exactly. So I was, that was the I am spirituality stuff, which was yeah. just like, you know, it wasn't like saying I am spirituality. It was kind of like an, you know, an I am is the basic, um, basic statement of, of existence, right? I am. Yeah. And so if you exist in that space where, you know, you're in the I am and there's, you know, everything else after that is an illusion. Like I am angry. I am, you know, Sean, I am tall. I am whatever. That is an identification that is beyond just being right. And so you're, if you're just being, you're in this state of like this blissfully awesome, cool, just kind of hanging out existence. So that's what that was all about. But it was kind of a beta test for this stuff because what happened in about 2007 to 2012 is that all the science that was published about um, self and about consciousness and about awareness and, and whatnot caught up with exactly how I was presenting everything. And so my theory of emotions was no longer just a theory. It was like empirically proven science at that point to say, yeah, this is how all it works, which kind of blew my mind. But I was like, well, screw it, man. If, if this is going to be, you know, supported by science, let's pull out all the studies that prove it and put them all together. And that's what this mind hacking happiness stuff is now, which is basically just the same thing that I had before, except leading with the science that says, okay, this is exactly how it works. And so, um, you know, the IM stuff is kind of going away only because it's the same thing repackaged in a new, um, you know, new box, the nice little bow on top that, leads with the science and says, okay, you can really trust this stuff because this is mm. how your mind works and this is how yourself works and this is how your emotions work and this is how to downplay all of those things and get control of your mind in a way that you never knew possible um, because you just hadn't learned it before.
for him. Yeah. Right? To, to, to look back over, I mean, like if I were to take your YouTube channel and go back to the beginning and look to now, it, it almost seems like a progression of, not that you weren't scientific in the beginning, but sort of from this more spiritual side to a more, because I mean, like in the early ones, you're literally in like a kimono. Yeah. And, and you, you got the, the tea and you got the whole setup and everything, which was a decent yeah. little studio, by the way. Uh, right. And then you kind of go into the sound booth with a, you know, a psychedelic stuff behind you and, um, but now I guess you're, you're just, is that the same room? Is no, this is, well, I've done a couple of videos, the later videos from this room. Um, but yeah, we, we, we set up like a whole podcast studio. Yeah. Um, so we're going to have guests and um, we're going to have, you know, weekly topics and talk about interesting stuff and, um, and, you know, have a whole, you know, have live studio guests here as, awesome. as we move forward. So yeah, that's cool. Um, but yeah, it's, it, there's been a little bit of a, kind of an evolution from you know, where I was previously. Not that I don't have those same shirts in the other room. I do. I love those things. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's going to be more of a um, kind of a general audience type thing. Because when you talk about the word spirituality, right, you turn a lot of people off because they bring in a lot of baggage with that. And so, um, you know, we often just ascribe the word spirituality to things that are simply beyond our body and mind or that we perceive that are seemingly beyond our body and mind. And so, really, um, you know, you could, you could almost describe those things to being deep mind or, or coming from your subconscious mind as I started to learn a lot more about the science. And so that's kind of when I put this whole mind hacking happiness thing together to say, okay, really what we're doing is we're getting out of our, our conscious awareness and getting into our deep mind and subconscious and the things that can, uh, we can gain access to when we expand out from this me thing that we've got going right. on up here. And so once we get down in there, it's really kind of hacking your mind from conscious and subconscious level. So I was like, all right, well, let's, let's move away from the I am stuff and I can start wearing regular shirts again. Or <laughs> oh, that was, that was pretty flashy. This is shiny. This is, I like <laughs> my shiny, shiny shirts. <laughs> Whereas I think, I think I slept in this one last night. So <laughs> the difference between no, something I've always liked about you is, is you, you're just kind of like an enlightened dude, you know, Thanks, um, like you, you've got this sort of higher level thinking going on, but you also curse. <laughs> you know and yeah and uh i didn't mean it i wanted to try to stay clean for your podcast i don't know if that was eh, i can bleep if i need to um right. <laughs> i haven't decided how how explicit i want to be on the podcast yet it's still kind of new i always keep it pretty clean on the youtube channel but um cool. but no i mean like there's there's always this because i think i kind of walk that same tightrope myself with yeah. uh, with my content i try not to go too woo woo and when I yeah. do, I have the, the patented woo-woo alarm that I hit just a morning. <laughs> and, That's and I, awesome. Well, and I try to not take it too seriously, but it's just interesting things to think about. But um, I don't think there has to be such a dividing line between science and, and spirituality. I mean, I almost you can almost take the, um, for lack of a better word, paranormal stuff out of the spirituality and just say anything that connects you to something bigger than yourself, even if it's humanity for that matter, you know? because right. um, I mean even even devout <laughs> devout atheists is that a thing um, even sure. devout atheists say that they can feel a connection to a, a bigger purpose and a bigger um, thing than themselves and that's, that's yeah you know that powers all of us you know I talk about that in the second mind hacking happiness book volume two where um, atheists like uh, there was a, a book written about uh, how enlightenment changes your brain. And there were a couple of doctors that wrote that book that basically talked about enlightenment experiences, et cetera. And they put out a, um, a kind of a survey online on their website that discussed 
um, you know, pe inviting people to explain what their enlightenment experiences were like. And over 25% of them were atheists, explaining their beyond regular waking consciousness experience of something other than their, you know, just the default mode network of their brain. Mm -hmm. And so it was really interesting for them and, and kind of interesting for me that, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with you. The, the line between science and spirituality is getting really fuzzy. In fact, you know, I think the things that we call spiritual, um, you know, if they exist in this universe, they have a scientific explanation. And just to say that, you know, we can explain something with science doesn't make it less holy or less spiritual or less sacred of an experience. So, you know, when you're, when you're talking about the old school thought of, you know, science versus spirituality, um, you know, I, I think that line is getting pretty fuzzy. You know, I think that that um, delineation is going away. And I think Sam Harris is, is a great example of that mm -hmm. coming from the science side to say, you know what, maybe we need to take a closer look at the spirituality stuff and reclassify some of this stuff. And he, he's actually wanting to, to take back the word spirituality and kind of redefine it. And I think we're kind of moving in the same direction, at least, you know, the, there, there'll be some folks on the spiritual side of like, oh, you know, science is all bullshit and, you know, is against us or whatever. I think that's the wrong attitude to have. I think there are more and more people are going to be on our side of the spiritual spence to say, okay, spirituality is something that we experience. And it probably comes, you know, it definitely comes through our physiology because we experience it through our physiology. Right. So let's start digging into that a little bit and, and figuring out what the commonalities are so we can understand it better. So the more people can get it. Yeah. Yeah. And that, the, I like that because it opens it up to more people. Cause you're right. Yeah. So many people just close off at the word spirituality and anything like that. Um, and it's, yeah, it comes with a lot of baggage, you know, I mean, you know, yeah. spirituality means a lot of stuff to a lot of folks. And when you say that word, all of a sudden, what, whatever they're carrying in their mind with that baggage comes flooding into their consciousness yeah. and they stop listening to you. Right. They're not, they're not listening to your, definition of the word consciousness or your understanding of consciousness or uh or spirituality they're not talking about the same thing that you're talking about at that point because their mind is flooded with their shit yeah yeah and i always find it funny whenever you start talking about people studying consciousness there are some that already go into this woo woo thing and it's like oh that's just uh you know it's like it's uh parascience or something like that it's not real science i'm like but but we all have consciousness it, it might be the single most important thing we have it's what makes us who we are it's what makes us our ability to walk through life possible it is a yeah, thing it is we study it you know certainly and you know i mean the the psychological science um proves that it's a thing yeah and in book two i dig into that and bring a lot of science to consciousness and to the discussion about consciousness when I talk about, um, you know, the activity of consciousness within our bodies, just looking within our bodies, right? I mean, all the ancient wisdom disciplines say, if you want to understand yourself in the universe and God, you want to look within your body first within yourself. I mean, and that's mm -hmm. a, a basic tenet of all the world's religions. I mean, that's Buddhism, that's Taoism, that's Christianity, it's Islam, it's um, Judaism, like all the, the basic fundamental tenets of these religions are based around looking within, seeking within. Even the Oracle of uh, Apollo at Delphi says, you know, mm -hmm. know thyself, right? Yeah. So when you, you start looking within the book, you do a good job of talking about that. Uh, when, you, uh, when you look inside your body, right, you're looking at the, at the cellular activity 
there's consciousness down there at that level, right? There's, there is, you know, a consciousness up here at our top level, right? There's our conscious awareness. But then when we start to, to do things like an exercise I put in the, one of the books, it says, uh, think of a, a purple elf or a pink elephant with purple polka dots, right? Well, you didn't actually put that together when you see that in your mind, right? A, another level of consciousness down below your waking level of consciousness did that. So we have multiple levels of consciousness in our brain as also evidenced by split brain patients, right? Some people have really bad seizures. You got to cut the corpus callosum right down the middle. And so the left brain can't talk to the right brain and they don't know what's going on either side. Well, you can do tests with those folks that say, um, you know, you cover up one eye, you show them an object and you say, okay, what did you just see? But you're asking both ears. One side of the brain can answer and the other side of the brain's like, I don't know, what what are you talking about? I didn't see anything. So there are multiple levels of consciousness in there. But when we start to go down deeper, right, there are deeper levels of consciousness. The question becomes, where does that stop? What information does it have? And how far down can we go to see consciousness? And I believe we can go down to the cells and see consciousness in the cells because they make intelligent individual decisions in the body. And, you know, one of the cool um, studies that I included in like Mind Hacking Happiness Volume 2 was this gambling desk study where uh, Antonio Damasio, he's one of the world's leading experts on uh, consciousness now. He started at University of Iowa where he did, he basically put two decks of cards in front of people. And however they did with the, the game that they were going to play was, was dictated how much money they were going to get from the experiment. They get paid for these experiments, but they were going to play this game. Well, they stacked the decks of cards. And one deck was overall what good. Um, gave you money, but it gave you money in a in a kind of a slow up and down fashion. And then the other deck took away money, and it took away money in a fashion that was a lot bigger swings and stuff like that. And so after about 50 pulls, the people who were um, engaging in the study kind of had a hunch of what was going on, but they weren't exactly sure. They were like, well, we, I kind of think what, I know what's going on with these two decks, but yeah, I don't know. 80 pulls, pretty much everybody had it figured out. They're like, okay, this deck's bad. It's taking money away from me. This deck's good. It's giving me money. Um, but the interesting part was when they looked at the data of all the sensors that they had hooked up to these folks because they were trusting skin conductivity, pulse rate, uh, mm-hmm. jaw tension, all these cool things. And uh, it turned out that the body of the people who were engaging in the study knew exactly what was going on with the two decks after 10 pulls. Mm-hmm. So the intelligence level within our bodies for something as you know elementary as a game of cards is immense. And so, you know, obviously our, our body doesn't react in just a card game. Our body is intelligent in taking in a lot of information from our senses all over the place. And they're creating a lot of our um, existence, our top level existence. And so when you're talking about diving deep into consciousness, you go down to the cellular level. Well, those cells likely have consciousness. And then, okay, so where do the cells get consciousness? And that's the cool thing that just came out in 2014 turns out our brain cells, our neurons, and all of our other cells in our bodies are made up of these things called microtubules. And microtubules in a lab in Tsukuba, Japan in 2014 by an MIT researcher were found to interact with the quantum vibrations, the quantum field. This so, is the ORC OR. Yeah, this is the ORC OR stuff. And so this was theorized by Penrose and Hameroff back in the 80s. And in 2014, a materials lab in Japan said, uh, yeah, the warm, wet environment of microtubules, which everybody's like, oh, it doesn't work in a warm, wet environment. You know, yeah. microtubules interact, but they don't do, do it in our neurons. <clears throat> well, it, it, it turns out that, yes, our neurons, and in fact, they tested the neurons of brain tissue. They said, yeah, the neurons interact 
with with quantum field vibration. So all of a sudden, the, all the woo woo stuff isn't woo woo anymore, and you're like, well, maybe we need to look at the science because maybe you know the one thing about quantum physics is that it's inextricably tied to consciousness. There's not one interpretation, not even the Copenhagen interpretation that says ignore it, that doesn't include consciousness as one of the components to understand quantum physics. And so, you know, you have this science that's inextricably linked to consciousness. And then you have this science that also says, okay, our neurons are connected with this quantum field okay, so now we have to consider that maybe our consciousness itself comes from the quantum field and our waking awareness and our subconscious awareness is, is fed by an information transfer from the ether. Or is at least affected by it. Yeah, exactly. So, because that was one of the, um, the conclusions that the researchers in Sakuba came up with is, look, man, these, these vibrations, Vibrations are in the gamma spectrum, which are the best brain waves we have, by the way. I mean, they're, they, the science can't uh, explain gamma uh, spectrum uh, signals in our brain because they fire faster than our neurons do. So they shouldn't exist from a neuroscientist perspective. And these quantum vibrations come in in that gamma wave spectrum, which um, have been measured like they used to be that we had four brain waves and gamma wasn't one of them and gamma was considered the noise in neuroscience. And lately they figured out, well, actually, no, these are the waves that actually put all of the information together for us from multiple sources and make the big picture for us. And they're um, best correlated with things like altruism, um, unconditional love, and they're highest in the Buddhist monks of Tibet who meditate all day on our pain and suffering. So the coolest guys in the world have the strongest gamma waves and the quantum field interacts in our brain in the gamma spectrum. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> you know, call it woo-woo all you want, but there's a trail of science that we need to follow there yeah, from my perspective. Yeah. You know? it's, that's super interesting. Well, I want to give you a chance to talk about your book. Um, I mean, I did read it and I, was, uh, I, I loved it. There was a lot of stuff in there that I heard you talk about in the past. So it was almost like revisiting it, uh, a lot of it for me. Um, yeah. One of the things that um, I'm just going to throw this out there and then I'll let you talk about the book for a minute. But one of the sure. little tricks that you had talked about a long time ago that I always thought was really powerful was um, like, instead of saying I am angry, saying the me is angry, like creating that separation. Yeah. That is the simplest you know, thing the, in the world. Yeah. And yeah. That's, and it, it does. And it, all right, because you know, you have this, this, uh, this thing in your head, right? The default mode network, which is your self circuits that are firing all the time, about 47% of the time your mind is wandering and you're 20% less happy when that's happening, according to studies. Yeah. And so that's your, that's your ego self. That's your me, right? And so, um, but there's this other place of, of meta awareness is kind of a half step up above your ego self. And that's where you kind of get to separate a little bit from your, your mind self. And when you do that, which is all of the world's disciplines for um, meditation are designed to get you into the space of meta-awareness, right? Mm -hmm. It is being able to get into that space of observing what your mind is doing so that you can see that you're not completely your mind. Because if you can see something, right, your, your, eye, your eyeball can't see itself because there is no separation. Your tooth can't bite itself because there is no separation. Your olfactory nerve in your nose can't smell itself because there is no separation. But at the point that you see your mind, you start to realize, holy crap, you know, there's a little bit of a separation there. So I am not completely my mind. Okay, so what am I then? And you start to slip into that, I am the awareness of what's going on thing. Well, 
when you're talking about the me, right, you're talking about your ego self, you're talking about your, your mind's um, version of yourself, mm -hmm. you're starting to objectify the me, right? So when instead of saying like, I am angry, or I am whatever, you say the me is angry. And so from that perspective, even in your language, you're starting to objectify the self and you're starting to put a little bit of a distance between you and because you're talking about your mind's self as something else. You're saying the me. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about something else, then there has to be separation. Um, and so your mind kind of says, okay, I get that. And I can see the me within me now being angry or being sad or being whatever. And yeah, that's, that was a really popular video on, on YouTube about the me because everybody was like, holy cow, man, that's, that's so cool. It's just such a, I mean, when you talk about mind hacking, that's a simple little hack. And, yeah. and I've, I've, since I saw that or whenever it was, I heard you first talk about it. I mean, you know, I'm stuck in traffic and starting to get the rage going, you know, and, <laughs> and, and just being able to say, okay, the me is pissed off right now. It just that simple little thing gives you enough space to say, okay, so why? And yeah. then you start to pick it apart. When you're in it, you can't pick it apart. You're just no. you know, feeling the rage. But when you can put that little distance between you. Yeah, you got to remind yourself that you aren't the thing that's happening to you, right. that you are the observer of all the stuff that's going on around you. And at the point that you can regain that control, which is, um, you know, I, I put a whole bunch of other mind hacks in the, in the red book, in the first book on entering that meta awareness at will is what we're talking about, right? I mean, that's what you're doing when you try to meditate or any of the meditative disciplines is you're trying to enter that meta awareness state of being able to watch your mind at will. Well, when you ask yourself those simple questions or you make that simple statement of the me is angry or the me is sad or the me uh, doesn't like what's going on here, you put that separation between yourself and your mind and you remind yourself, oh, wait, I am the thing that's a little above all this BS, right? I am the thing that's not totally affected by what's going on here. Although my body's certainly having a reaction, um, it's not really me. And so that kind of removes you a little bit and takes you out of that that reaction for for a minute and allows you to reset and say mm -hmm. okay i'm gonna let that because there you know there's a lot of physiology that's going on there you get angry you get you know dump done a bunch of hormones dumped into your mm -hmm. system and those things are going to race your heart and increase your your breathing and and flush your face and yada yada but um there's a point where you can take back control your body reacts to what your mind's doing so there's a point you can take control and say uh-uh uh, i'm just going to sidestep that and we're not going to have that you know ruin my day at this point and so, you know, you get these little tools like the me or like an equation of emotion review where you just say, okay, you know, the nervous system is a big comparator, right? It has, it looks at two different things to make every decision that it makes. And that is what is its expectation or preference of what's going on versus the perception of what's going on. And then it compares those two things uh, and then creates a reaction. Like even in the, in the instance where you hit your patella tendon with a, a, a mallet. Um, its expectation of preference is that patella isn't being stretched beyond safety limits. And so when it is, then it makes the, the knee jerk involuntarily, the leg jerk involuntarily. Well, the same thing is true for our emotions and the stuff that ruins our day, right? So you get these two things that come together and if they match, it's great. If they don't, then there's an emotional, a negative emotional right. reaction. Well, when you put your conscious awareness into one side or the other of that two things, let's say, okay, so what is my expectation or preference about this moment? Or what is my perception about this moment? What triggered me? All of a sudden, you're in that space of meta-awareness. You're in that space of putting a distance between yourself and your mind, and then that's removing you from the BS that your mind just created for you. So mm -hmm. it gives you a, a greater control over what's going on 
And after a while, that becomes plastic. After a while, your brain starts, just like we practice basketball to get better, just like we practice baseball, practice piano, practice crossword puzzles, and we get better at those things. Plasticity works any way that you use your brain. And so if you're practicing being happier or you're practicing slipping into a matter of awareness, it starts to do that stuff for you without you having to put so much effort into it. And all of a sudden, life, there's this little thing in your brain that just kind of clicks and, and <laughs> shit just rolls off your back. Like mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. It's amazing how, um, you know, all of life's problems become minuscule at that point. That is, you know, something that you can just kind of handle regardless of what the situation is because your brain is automatically processing that stuff for you. It's really cool. Yeah. So I just want to bring this up. Uh, sure. So as, as somebody who is a writer, that's me. Uh, you know, I was, I was a screenwriter for many years. I still dabble in it from time to time and we'll probably get back to it more at some point, but um, this may be like a weird fear, not a fear, concern. Let's use the word concern. Okay. But the idea of becoming this kind of Zen person, for lack of a better word, that yeah. everything's kind of roll off of and doesn't really feel the, the rage and the anger and stuff like that anymore. Um, not that I'm there yet, but I'm just saying if I were to become that, there's this tiny, tiny concern that as somebody who can convey those emotions uh, in an artistic way, that if that was to be taken away from me, would I still be able to do a good job of, of conveying that? And I guess my question yeah. is, since you're kind of in that place now, do you feel like uh, you could still, I guess, understand those emotions and still be able to convey them in that way? Is there, is there like a total separation? Like, I haven't felt angry in five years. I don't even know what that's like anymore, you know? Yeah. Well, maybe a dumb question, but it's just a, a thought that I had. No, it's not a dumb question at all. I don't think it is because um, that was one of the things that I was wondering early on. I was like, you know, what's this going to do to my creativity? You right. Know, what's this? And, and so. I mean, it's kind but, of what and, makes us human in, a, in not a very yeah. productive way, but in a way, you know. Yeah. Well, the cool thing about this is that um, yourself, the, pro the brain process of self, never goes away, right? Because I explained in, in the first book that your brain is your organ of survival. And um, so it's, it's constantly looking for threats, especially through your limbic system. And so the limbic system is saying, is looking out at the whole world and saying, is this a threat? Is this a threat? Is this a threat? Is this a threat? Well, another question must then be asked in performing that task, which is a threat to what? Exactly. Right. What is it that I need to be protecting? What is the, the self thing that I need to be protecting, you know, from the world's threats? So th that's where our ego comes in. That's where our, our mind self comes in. It, it creates this laundry list of things, of ideas, of, you know, our politics, our religion, our life story, our, you know, representation of our body, which is kind of hardwired into that. I mean, we, you know, if something comes flying at our eye, we flinch, you know, that's a, that's a protection of self uh, circuit. So, um, what happens there is that it, you move from compulsion to choice is really how Meng Tan once put it, which I thought was amazing, an amazing way to, to explain it. Basically, before uh, being able to understand how your emotions work and how your pain and suffering works and how to sidestep that stuff, your, com your compulsion is to follow it blindly. And so stuff makes you angry and you're just angry and you have to deal with it. Um, but when you move into the space of understanding your emotional processing to the point that you can kind of sidestep it. Now you have a choice. You can either let something affect you. Like, I mean, you know, anger is a, is a positive emotion in some ways because it helps charge you into defending the things that are important to you. Like maybe, maybe somebody comes up and slaps my kid in the face. 
a stranger because he's crazy or whatever, I'm going to need a little bit of adrenaline. I'm going to need a little bit of anger and a little bit of ire to step up and say, you know, okay, no, you need to back off that, uh, that type of thing. Or else so I can brand from game of Thrones. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> you know, you can, you can exist in that brand uh, game of Thrones space, but um, you know, there is a, a point that you can decide to say, okay, I'm going to let this one go. I'm going to let them build up and use this motion to you know energize myself or motivate myself or whatever it is um to get the job done and you don't necessarily lose it because the brain wants to interject that stuff i mean if if you've ever wanted to find out how powerful the ego is get rid of it one time it will always come back it's like this boomerang you throw it away and it always comes back it always tries to take over and and rule your life and whatnot so it's always going to be there making noise it's always going to be there saying you know, we should get angry about this or we should get sad about this or we should get fearful about this or whatever so you then have a choice to say okay i'm going to either <laughs> totally sidestep that reaction because it's you know an illusion and it's not helpful and it's not going to do me any good or you can say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow myself to get pissed off a little bit about this. And mm-hmm. I'm going to use that. And, and, and so my so creativity. You can tap into. Yeah, totally, totally. And, and you can use it like in my, in my role, like I kind of transitioned into this, you know, wanting to help people role. I have to have that. I have to be able to, to empathize with people. And if right. you don't understand emotions and reactions and what other people can be feeling, then you're going to be no good at that job. Right. So it's like, I, I can sit in complete bliss and complete silence and just kind of hang out and, and be that guy that absolutely, you know, comes slap me in the face. I'll give you the other cheek, no big deal. (laughs) But um, I'm also cognizant that I need to exercise the regular brain patterns so that I can keep current with, you know, what other people are feeling, what other people are going through, that type of thing so that I can relate to them to be able to help them. So, you know, you let the ego out and let them play his games and whatnot. But the cool thing is if you learn how to take it off at the end of the day, nothing really I mean you, you go through kind of life as a, of a as a dance and as a kind of a wonderful play you get to watch yourself reacting to these things without it actually reacting without it actually affecting you your right. deeper self right you're, you're still grounded no matter what's going on up here in your mind you're still super grounded and super centered and super blissful within which is I think if everybody had that man this place would be this world would be an awesome place. That's really more mind mastery really is what it comes down to is being able to master your, how you react to things. I mean, th- th- I think one of the things about maturing as a person, whether you do it when you're young or old, um, is that understanding that you can't change what happens to you. The only real thing you can do is change how you react to things. Right. The only exactly. Thing you really have control over is how you react to the situations you're in. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, this, is, if this, you is a, this is a way of mastering that ability, I guess. Yeah, totally. Because your mind makes up your whole world, right? It makes up your whole life, right? Um, And especially in regards to your emotional reactions to things. I mean, no one can make you angry except you. No one can make you sad except you. No one can make you fearful about anything except you. Because the last step in that process of whatever happened in the world and your emotion is your mind agreeing to say, okay, I'm going to have that emotional reaction about this event or whatever it is in the world that has happened. Well, you can step in and say, "Um, no. This is my mind, mm-hmm. and what I decide is going to go on in there is what's going to go on in there. And so that changes your whole um, limiting perspective into, okay, now no one can make me angry in the world without my permission. Now no one can make me sad without my permission. Mm-hmm. Now no one can make me fearful without my permission because I have full control over my mind and what it's doing. And that gives you a lot of bit of freedom um, so that you can move from compulsion to choice to say, okay, 
all this other stuff, you know, 90% of the stuff that bugged me previously, I'm just going to leave and not have to deal with. And it's not like you're repressing your emotion. It's, you know, it's processed. You've dealt with it. It's gone into into the past, in the history. You've let it go. It's not going to blow up again someday uh, because you haven't dealt with it. But then these other things over here, you say, okay, these are the important things about um, my life. And so things about my son, I'm going to get a little bit emotional about. Things about my family, I'm going to get a little bit emotional about. Things about my my single driving purpose, which is making people happy and getting better control of their mind from my personal perspective, right? I'm going to let those things bug me. If my website goes down, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll use those emotional reactions to get the thing back up as quickly as possible. And I'll probably feel a little bit of frustration or angst or whatever because of that. But those are things that I choose to have as motivators rather than all this other stuff that could ruin my day, but no longer doesn't. Mm-hmm. No I feel does. like it's also a little bit of just taking responsibility. Cause once upon a time I was somebody that was like, you made me angry. But I, I think I actually went through some therapy. That's actually where I got some of this. But, <laughs> but uh, I don't think I went through therapy. I did go through some therapy. But uh, that was one of the things that I came out of that with was nobody can make you angry. You, you allow them to affect your mood. And, and there's, there's a lot of finger pointing. And, and that can go into pretty extreme levels. And sometimes even violence can come out of that. But yeah. being able to just sit back and say, like, you know, whether it's taking action by getting out of a relationship that's not working for you or stepping away from a situation um, or just being upfront and handling it, that's just taking responsibility in your life and taking yeah. responsibility over your own emotions in your own mind when it comes down. Yeah. To yeah. That's exactly so you, right. You touched on, well, you talked about the equation of emotion. You go into that in great detail in the book. Uh, I just want to tell a quick story. I, I, I said the thing about driving earlier. I remember there was a specific moment way back in the day when I first was, you know, listening to your stuff on YouTube where, um, yeah, I was stuck in traffic. I'm on the way to work and I'm already running late. And of course, you know, some idiot and I'm, rah, I started going to a rage and I, I just kind of, again, had that, okay, the me's angry. What's going on here? And I thought, okay, my, my expectation was that I wouldn't have any problems getting to work. The reality is there's an idiot. So <laughs> that's why I'm feeling this way. And it didn't right. take away from the fact that I was still going to be late, but it, it, it at least calmed me down a little bit to be like, okay, so this is what it is. And that's why I'm feeling this way. Move on. You know? Yeah. And if, you know, and the science of that is, okay, so, you know, our, our, the two sides of the, of the equation of emotion are the expectation or preference of the next moment based on all the things that you care about. Okay. So yourself, your mind self comes into play in this because all of your expectations and preferences sounds like a, conscious thing you choose, but actually it's not. It's um, the expectations or preferences are set automatically through this thing called homeostasis connected with your mind's self. So if your expectation, you know, if you're, if you like to see that you're on time at work or you like to have people see you as very um, responsible or whatever, then the perception that you're going to be late attacks that, right? It attacks your expectation that you want to be on time, that you want people to see you in a certain light, that you're responsible, that you get to places on time when you're supposed to. Well, okay, so this perception is attacking that. Well, when you take a step back from that and you get into meta-awareness, right? Well, now you're, you're playing with a whole different self-map right? You, before where you had the, the self of connection with um, your expectation about being on work on time or, or that people see you a certain way, that's your limited scope. And then when you take a step back to say, okay, I'm going to take a look at this and you remind yourself, oh, I'm a little bit more than just my mind self. Now yourself kind of expands out a little bit and it's a whole new equation of emotion in play because now you're a little bit bigger than you were and 
you can look at your perception, which is a little farther away from you. And you, you say, okay, that that's not as powerful it was, as it was. And now yourself is a little different. And so there are different self vitamins in play. And that just kind of diffuses the whole situation for yourself from a physiological perspective. I mean, you, you experienced it for yourself. Well, there's a real science behind that and understanding it and being able to hack it, if you will. Okay. So now you're getting into the self map stuff. Yeah. It, um, it, I'm glad you, I was, I was trying to make that segue anyway. So thank you for that. <laughs> but uh, That to me is where it gets into like all the other stuff is mastering yourself. So it's more yep. of an individual thing, but I feel yep. like when you start to talk about the self map, um, I hope this makes sense, but I feel like that's starting to get into society and on a, on a macro level, because um, especially in today's political climate, Holy crap. You know, yeah. uh, the, yeah. the way everybody takes everything so personally, this is something that's been of interest for me um, for a while. Um, there are so many times when I'll see something on, you know, on the news, Trump, whatever, and I get become a triggered little snowflake, you know, and, <laughs> and I, I feel that sort of inside of me. And, and I have to just kind of stop and be like, okay, what is it in me? that this is touching on that's making me this viscerally angry as if something physically had been done to me, you know? Yeah. Um, so I wanted to give you a chance to talk a little bit more about the self map and how we arrange things in that whole target diagram that you use. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have it sitting on my desk, so I remember. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, our, our, you know, it goes back to um, the basic function of the nervous system, the basic function of the brain, right? It's our organ of survival and our limbic system looks for threats. And so then the other side of that question is, okay, well, a threat to what? And so that's when the brain has to assemble a self, right? It, it really can't um, identify all the things that it needs to defend unless it has like this laundry list, including the things that we care about, the things that we make attachments to it, like politics and religion and people and places and life story and yada, 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 the things that are important to us. Well, that's what this self is, is simply a, a neural representation of what your brain thinks is you, including all your ideas. Because if your ideas are being attacked, then that's an attack on self. And Sam Harris does some amazing work in his um, latest uh, studies that help prove this out on a political uh, spectrum, as well as uh, being attached to religion and things like that. But this started really with um, the University of Virginia study that proved that people have attachments to other people as their sense of self, as a portion of their sense of self. Through the MRIs, they were able to... Yeah. yeah, this was Jim Cohn at Virginia who um, went into this and proved that uh, basically, you know, when when a threat to someone that you love is pending, your brain reacts the exact same way as a threat to self for you. And they did this with ankle zappers, this electronic zapper put on an ankle. They put it on you. You freaked out when you thought it was going to be zapped. Well, they put it on someone you loved. The same exact pattern happened in the brain. So basically they proved that other people can become a portion of our sense of self. And then Tiffany Burnett White at UIUC did a study of brands. And she did a, a study on self-brand connection where basically people uh, uh, react to brands the exact same way that they react to threats to self based on bad news being associated with that brand. And, you know, they go into uh, amygdala hijack and denial and the whole thing that like, yeah. you know, and so th- ideas can then become attached to self. And so that's what the self map is all about, right? This is just a, this is just a, a toy, right? This is just a representation of the idea of what our brain does, right? It, attaches to things that it equates to our existence, to ourselves, to our personal 
um, daily life. And so when those things come under attack, it's just like somebody is taking a swing at our face or mm -hmm. just like, you know, a baseball flying at our body that we need to get out of the way of or whatever. When they attack our politics, when they attack our religion, when they attack our favorite color, when they attack, you know, someone in our family, when they attack whatever it is, that is a hardwired reaction in our brain to defend against self, which is why when we read an, an unfortunate article against something that we love on social media, we get upset about it. We want to mm -hmm. make a, a post or a comment or a defense of, you know, whatever it is, um, because it's the same basic neural network that's firing up every single time mm -hmm. on a threat to self. It's just what thing on your map is being threatened? What attachment of mind And these can be ideas. They can, these can be memories. They can, they can be absolutely anything that your mind creates in your perception um, about who and what you are that gets attacked. So then it says, okay, how do I defend against that? Or how do I react to that? Um, you know, that type of thing. So I might go on a rant for just a second, but yeah, go ahead. uh the reason why I feel like that's important, and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to promote your book and I wanted to give you whatever platform I have here to give you, uh, is because, uh, you, you know, you're, you're seeing a lot more, and I said politically, but it can also be, I mean, I get a lot of flat earthers in my comments, and it, it just blows my mind. It's like, how can somebody be so head in the sand about the most basic stuff? And, it, and it's because they've just taken on that idea as part of who they how they see themselves, you know? Right. Right. And they, and they don't have the, the skills or the tools to step back and say, Oh, I've attached myself to this idea. Therefore that's why I'm locked down on this. And especially in today's social media world, where you can just create these echo chambers of other people that are just as, you know, head in the sand as you are. Next thing you know, you you feel validated by having these ideas. So why would you, even question them because everybody around you feels the same way, you know? Right. Um, it's kind of exactly. a toxic combination. It is. It is a toxic combination. And, when, and you're talking about echo chambers. You know, when you start to identify with an idea that as part of your sense of self, like, you know, I fully believe that the earth is flat. And then all of a sudden you start to attach to other people who also believe the earth is flat. It becomes harder for you to release that earth is flat idea because if you release that earth is flat idea, you're starting to release the friends that you have that are attached to that. And so, you know, just like, uh, you know, people get entrenched in religion or people get entrenched in politics, you know, if you change your ways, you know, you're going to lose a lot of your friends. Mm -hmm. um, and so that keeps it a fully attached to your, you know, your mind self map to say, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to release this because, you know, I don't want myself, you know, one of the, one of the big things that the brain does when, uh, it, you know, the biggest freak out that the brain can have is when you call into question its sense of self, mm -hmm. right? Because it, the brain's basic function is your survival. And so if it has an inaccurate list of um, who and what you are, that's a big deal mm -hmm. because it could be judging threats in the world to, you know, what your mind's self map is. And if that mind self map isn't correct, it's not doing its job. And you could actually, you know, it could actually wind up killing you because it doesn't have an accurate representation of self. So if you want to freak out the brain, call into question its sense of self or try to change something on its sense of self. And that's why the brain hates change because it needs to, you know, have this thing identified and, and, and defined and never ever change it so that, you know, it doesn't um, risk killing you because it doesn't have an accurate representation of what yourself is. So yeah, you're right. I mean, that the attachment to things is, is huge. And, you know, I go into it in chapter nine where, 
you know, it kind of goes off topic in the book a little bit, but I explain how all the world's evils are connected with that one phenomenon. And I agree with you, everyone should know about it because mm -hmm. it's the one thing that will screw up your life more than anything else is to let that thing get out of control. Yeah. I have no retort to that. I totally agree completely. <laughs> uh, so you, I wasn't, sir. I wasn't really going to talk about this, but you brought it up earlier and it's something I've always been fascinated by. And so I, I wanted to give you a chance to talk about it if you were willing to, uh, sure. your enlightenment experience. Okay. Yeah. Is that still what you call it? Do you call it the enlightenment experience or do you have another name for it? Well, I, I, no, I don't, I still call it the enlightenment experience only because, you know, enlightenment is something that we ascribe to um, learning something, right? Being in, enlightened is, you know, you, you become enlightened about something, you, you, you learn math and you become enlightened about math. Yeah. And so this experience was something that taught me a, a large amount of information. So, and it's what um, other researchers are now starting to call it, like the book, uh, How Enlightenment Changes Your Brain. They call, you know, they even differentiate big E enlightenment experiences versus small E enlightenment experiences. Mm -hmm. And so it's becoming a, a scientifically definable phenomenon at this point. So I still call it a yeah, well, yeah, I think so. According I don't to know. the story you told on that video, anyway. Yeah, well, I go into that and um, I tell the whole thing, or well, not the whole thing, but I tell a large volume of it in, in volume two, all the stuff that I talked about in that video, plus a bunch. Mm -hmm. um, I just laid it out and I said, look, um, you know, here's the experience that I perceived and that I can remember, you know, from notes and from memory and stuff like that. Um, but here's, here's what you're talking about when we're talking about enlightened experience. I just wanted to give it a good example of, okay, so this is what can happen within your consciousness, within your mind, when you go into these deep states of no thought. And it's a, it's something else that happens in your mind. It's something else that happens in your brain that when you stop the regular patterns of thought in your brain that are just going, going, going all the time, when you stop those things, then that opens the opportunity up for something else to occur. And something else does occur. And it's, you know, this has been written about for thousands of years. And um, all the great masters have talked about it. And entire, you know, philosophies slash religions have been built around this. I mean, all the, all the, the religions in the world were designed to bring you to this enlightenment place, um, which I explain in the book and all the history and all the statements of the um, godheads and things like that. Jesus, Muhammad, uh, the Buddha, uh, Krishna, uh, all the, you know, the Upanishads uh, all talk about this mystical state of, of awareness and understanding. And so um, that's called enlightenment from a, you know, a general sense So yeah, I still call it that, but I explain the whole thing and what I perceived uh, in the book. And then I go on to talk about the science that makes that, um, you know, it proves that it's a little bit more than just, you know, hallucination uh, because it does have meaning and it does bring understanding to us. So it it is, is more than a hallucination. Is that what you said? Yeah, it is more than a hallucination. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I state, and I make a pretty good um, scientific argument for that in the book um, because of the commonalities of the uh, state of mind that you're, that you get, what you get out of it are pretty much agreed upon from a basic fundamental uh, phenomena perspective across, um, you know, individuals from person to person. So there's a, a, a certain subset of qualifiers for an enlightenment experience. And so, you know, if all those things are standard, all of a sudden we're starting to dip into the world of science. We're starting to wade into the waters of um, scientific commonality. And so then I go into the neuroscience and what makes that experience possible within the brain and what's likely occurring within the brain when that happens based on multiple 
uh, examples, not just my own, but multiple examples of other people's stories and other people's similar stories um, with using exogenous uh, psychedelics, things like that. So, you know, I go into the, a lot of the science that says, okay, it's more than hallucination because it has meaning um, and it's a separate consciousness because if science as if science supposes that my waking level consciousness rolls up from my sub levels of sub subconscious, which is what science supposes right now, I should not have had the experience that I had digging deeper down into my subconscious that was totally foreign. You know, it was like a totally different consciousness from my waking level consciousness. Mm -hmm. If I'm digging down deeper into me, I should be finding things that are congruent with my waking level consciousness. I should be finding things that make up who I am in my waking consciousness down there. I shouldn't find things that are extremely foreign uh, to me in, especially in the, in the realm of, you know, unconditional love and compassion and uh, surrender and things like that. I should be finding things that help are the building blocks of my building up here. But when you go down into that, what you find is completely different and you understand things that you didn't understand previously. So you're tapping into this deep level intelligence. And I go into that whole thing in the book to explain, okay, here's what I experienced and here's the science behind it. And here's why it makes sense when you start talking about the science. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that we should all should, we should strive for. We should all should, should um, search for it within us because it's the best thing that ever happened to me. I mean, yeah. period, period. So if a cynic were to come up and say it was just a random DMT surge in your brain, you have no doubt that that is not what happened. No, I have, I have complete confidence that that's what happened. Oh, but, okay. but um, in fact, you know, my, my thought is that it was a DMT flush, a 5-methyloxy-dimethyltreptamine soup of, of sorts, an endogenous flush that, you know, my brain created. Right. Um, but like I said before, just because we can, ex we can explain it scientifically doesn't take away any of the sacredness or any of the... Um, the wisdom or any of the spirituality that might be associated with that, right? Because what it did was that it opened doors, like uh, I explained in the book, like 5-methyloxy-dimethyltryptamine overfloods the serotonin, serotonin 7 receptors, which are associated with our consciousness, and a few other receptor sets that are associated with our consciousness. But it completely bypasses the serotonin 2 receptors, which are the traffic cops of stopping us getting access to our subconscious mind. Okay, so basically it's, it helps the, um, the mind stop at a certain point and doesn't overload us with the information that our mind could generate for our waking consciousness. Well, when dimethyltryptamine in 5-methyloxy form floods our brain, that all bets are off on that. So now you're gaining access to your deepest level consciousness as far deep and out as it goes in your waking consciousness. So I am fully convinced that it was probably catalyzed by that um, chemical compound being flushed into my brain but i gained access to stuff like in this book the first book i explain emotions better than any other phd on the planet has and this was has been confirmed by the phds in emotion who are the leading scientists in the world on looking at models of how emotions work and they were like yep that's that's actually how it works and and when i talked to um Ross Picard at MIT, she's like, I love that because it explains the politics around the media lab. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And hmm. she's like, talk to, you know, she gave me a couple of her, her associates to talk to and, and I, you know, called those guys and they're like, wow, yeah, that's actually how it works. And I was like, okay, cool. And so, and the Ekmans, the, even Paul Ekman, like Paul Ekman's one of the, the, the gods in emotional science, right? Well, his daughter Eve and, and Paul are working on uh, modeling emotions 
um, to be able to explain them from a cognitive perspective. And it is exactly what I present here in this book, except they're about a decade behind on, you know, I, I present the whole thing and why anger is anger and why fear is fear and why sadness is sadness and all that stuff. But it's the same exact model. It's just that they're, they're following the research to build the model versus I came at it from, okay, I got an awakening, you know, I got it from the universe or God or whatever you want to call it. He's got to download. Yeah. And, and here it is. And oh, by the way, the science all supports it. And here we go. And they're, and they're coming at it from a perspective that's saying, okay, we're going to follow the data, but the data is leading us in the same direction. So awesome. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, you could say it's a hallucination. You could say it's a dimethyltryptamine dump and just, you know, kind of want to write it off as that. But the, but the issue with that is that um, you gain access to knowledge that we don't yet have. You gain access to understanding that we don't yet have. I mean, uh, Einstein said you know, the, the thinking brain has nothing to do on the road to discovery, right? You, you sit there and you think about a problem and then all of a sudden the you know, call it inspiration or what you will, the, the answer comes to you. Well, okay, there's a science behind that. And it's, you know, the subconscious levels within our mind that are coming up with that answer, you know, working on the problem and, and coming up with that answer. Well, when you, when you break those barriers down, like with a 5-methyloxydimethyltryptamine flush, you break those barriers down to give access to your waking consciousness to all your levels of subconscious, it certainly makes sense that you're going to get a lot of the information that's down there at that level. And then when you're, if you're accessing these neurons that have the microtubules out into the quantum field, God knows what we are accessing at that point, right? I mean, forgive the pun there, God may know. But, (laughs) uh, you know, God knows what we're actually accessing through the the vibrations of the microtubules. That may not be just a one-way communication channel, right? That may not be just, you know, a spurious oscillation receiver that we're getting, you know, these vibrations through our microtubules and our neurons. There may be, you know, we're transmitting stuff. Who knows? We don't know yet. That's the portion of the science that we're at where we're just transferring from woo-woo into actual experimentation. And then, you know, you bring it into a lot of, uh, you know, bring it into question. Okay. So how does the quantum field hold data if it does, or, you know, how is it Mm -hmm. formulated or how do you, you know, how do you even read it if you can read it? Um, So there's a whole bunch of work that needs to be done there. But at the same time, you know, if you're, if you're having a flush of a chemical that enables something in your brain, which is how the brain works, if you're enabling, having a chemical flush that enables an, an extra function of your brain, that doesn't necessarily say, make an automatic to say, well, it's a hallucination or it doesn't mean anything or whatever, because these experiences are deeply meaningful and they do change lives and they do convey an immense amount of information that the, the waking consciousness didn't have previous. So sorry, you can call it a hallucination all you want, but, if there's a benefit to it, if there's a commonality to it between individuals, that's not a meaningless hallucination. That's not just random ideas or thoughts or whatever. It's something of deep meaning and of deep intelligence that you're actually gaining access to. So we got to go there. I think disclaimer before uh, any of your videos or anything you say that like you need to get a bucket to catch all the brain coming out of your ear <laughs> after you're done talking. Because, like, you're sitting there and I was like, I, oh, yeah, wow, I don't, yeah, wow, I, uh, you know. Uh, Sorry. That's, no, that's, that's fascinating stuff, man. That's why I Diarrhea want... of the mouth. No, no, it's awesome. Uh, I do probably need to start wrapping it up, though. So, um, the new book is out now? Yeah, the new book, um, My Necking Happiness Volume 1 is out as of, uh, like, a month ago or two months yeah. ago. Um, that's available on Audible. Um, and then Volume 2 just came out, uh, like, last week. 
And so volume one is, is the practical stuff. Volume one is if you're a business owner, if you're, you know, just a regular Joe, if you're just, you know, interested in how your mind works and you want to take control of your mind, that's what you read. Um, this is the soup to nuts on why your bullshit is your bullshit and <laughs> um, what you can do to hack your mind to turn that stuff down. Was that the original so, title? Um, why your yeah, bullshit well, is I, your bullshit? <laughs> I was thinking about it. Uh, I do use the word in, in the book. So be, be prepared <laughs> for some cursing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so that's the, that's the practical stuff of, you know, if you don't want to go into the spiritual stuff, you don't want to go into the enlightenment stuff. If you just want to understand your mind so you can take better control of it, that the red book is for you, but you're going to need the red book if you want to read the blue book. So then if you want to go further and you want to understand all the ancient secrets about spiritual enlightenment or enlightenment period, if you want to understand all the, 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 foundations of the world's religions and what it's supposed to point to. If you want to understand the science of consciousness and how this stuff works um, to, you know, be able to tap into the deepest secrets of the mind, like the deepest level of high intelligence and things like that. Um, you know, I, I talk about all that stuff and I talk about um, enlightenment and I talk about the science that makes it all possible and likely and believable. So cool. there you and go. The best place for them to go for that is... Um, well, you can go to amazon.com or you can go to audible, um, and they have them all there. You have a you website get a paperback or Kindle or, hmm? do you have a, a website? I do. It's, um, we're still working on it as of now, but when this goes up, I think it should be done, but that's mindhackinghappiness.com and we'll have more functionality. Um, we don't have the tools fully developed yet to help people put together their self map and things like we're going to have like interactive cool stuff about oh, how cool. to put together your self map and you know how, how your anger works. And we're going to have a mobile app and all that cool stuff. This is going to be a, an effort to help raise the consciousness levels and raise the happiness levels of anybody who wants to get involved and we're going to have as much of it as possible be free so just stop by mindhackinghappiness.com and see what's going on that's cool and you got some some podcast stuff that's about to start happening you're saying yes we're gonna have the mind hacking happiness podcast um i got a co-host who moved down he read the book and he's like i'm in and he sold his house <laughs> and he moved down and other people wow. are like, I've got a whole team. Like I know the content on this stuff is strong. And that's how it's like changing lives. And people are like, I want, you know, there's a, there's someone on our team that's going to help put together um, an offering for addiction management because she's coming uh, from the world of addiction. And uh, um, she's like, this stuff has helped me more than anything else that I found. So I was like, okay, let's do it. You know, let's put together this, this thing for addiction folks. And so, uh, yeah, we're putting together. Level, I have to ask, I mean, how, how does that feel to know that you're helping out people like that? I mean, I can you imagine. Know, I just it's a, touch on yeah. that. It's awesome. It's, yeah. it's look, man. Um, you know, your brain fires off a bunch of really cool stuff when you work to help other people, right? If you stop to help somebody pick up a box of pens or, you know, whatever it is, your, your brain and your heart and your, your body reacts positively to connecting with those folks and whatnot. And to be able to, you know, I get feedback all the time through email and, and through messages on, on social media and whatnot, to be able to touch even one person makes my life worth being here to improve, you know, because everybody that we touch right moving forward is going to touch other folks. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome because if we can increase the happiness level in just one person, we're increasing the happiness level for the world by, um, as a result by, by default. Right. So if we can touch more people who then touch more people who then touch, you know, go on to make their grandkids more happy because they mm -hmm. understand this mind stuff better, man, let's do that. Let's change the world because you know, one of the big things that's a kind of a secret is that, um, I'm a world peacer. 
and I fully believe like the only way to path, the only path to world peace is through inner peace because at the point that you don't no longer have to defend self of ideas, I mean, even political self or, or financial system self, or, you know, uh, um, you know, physical land location self, you know, you stop having to throw bombs at people to defend that. And so fewer people die if you're not, you know, so attached mm -hmm. to your religion. I mean, you can keep your religion, but if you're not so attached to it, you start throwing bombs. Well, all of a sudden the world becomes a better place. And so I am a big proponent that if we work on this long enough and hard enough, we will eventually attain world peace. Probably not in my lifetime, but if we get the ball rolling and we start getting people on the, the team of being able to control their minds, and that's all it is. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not saying, you know, come be a disciple or whatever it is of, you know, Sean Webb. I don't care, you know, bury me somewhere in an unmarked grave. That's where I am on this. But let's get you the control to be able to get control of your mind so that your mind doesn't have control of you anymore. And you're back in the driver's seat to make the decisions. And, and the more people that we have on that boat, you know, eventually those become our world leaders. And all of a sudden, you know, we're in a position where we're not lobbing bombs at each other that's an awesome thing. Mm -hmm. That's an awesome thing. So if we can raise the happiness level and everybody and get them on board and get them blissful, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I, I came to a decision probably about the time I was really going through therapy um, <laughs> that I think mental health is actually more important than physical health. Yeah. For, for this reason, mental health is intergenerational. Yeah. Um, my grandmother passed away a couple of years ago now, and I'm not going to air my family's dirty laundry, but you know, there were some, there were some flaws that she had, some mindsets that she had that got passed down to my mom and my mom interpreted them in whatever way she interpreted them, but it was scarring and that got passed down to me, you know, and I mean, it's these, these, the health, the unhealthy mental states get passed down generation after generation after generation. If you're physically injured, it mostly affects you if you're, you know, bad enough. It might have one or two other people have to help you get around or something like that. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, it's not just a direct lineage either. You know, you have multiple kids. It winds up being, yep. you know, dozens, even later on, hundreds yep. of people. So, yeah. so that, that mental health, if you can nip it in the bud now, you're saving generations of pain. Big time, big time. And, and those things, you know, the epigenetic changes that you make, like will change your genes. And that's like if you become, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you, if you become a happier person that change your genes, change your genes profile to where you procreate and your kids are going to be happier because you made your life happier. Right. I mean, that's huge stuff. I mean, it's not just, you know, and plus all the things you were talking about. Yeah. You're not going to pass down your, your, um, uh, explosive anger. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's important that we get that under control and you're not passing that down to your kids or the other people that are watching you. Um, but then you're also changing your gene expression as well. So, I mean, I fully agree with you that psychological help is much more important than physical health and psychological help, uh, as explained in book two, helps your physical health. I mean, you know, the, the placebo effect is a real thing. People take a sugar pill and their brain fixes their body. Right. So, mm -hmm. uh, if you get, can, if you just take conscious control of that, you can, be an immense amount of health because you took control of your mind. Clearly we could keep talking about this forever, but <laughs> I know man, I'd love to, I got to go pick up my son too. <laughs> oh yeah. I've, I've got work to do. Uh, well, I want to thank you for doing this, man. Seriously. I it's, it's been, um, you know, I want to thank you originally. I, I reached out to you a long time ago with, with an email I was going through some, some rough stuff and you were kind enough to help me out with that. And I always appreciated that. Oh, no problem, uh, man. Thanks. I've always wanted to talk to you ever since. So you were one of the first people on my list when I started up the podcast. So big thanks for doing this. 
Hey, no problem, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, we'll have to have you on and and talk about the echo chamber stuff. Yeah, no, I'd love to. And anybody listening, check out Sean's uh, Sean's stuff. Read his books and um, the podcast. Once it's out, it'll change your life, literally. I hope so. That's our goal. All right. <laughs> well, thanks again, man. Hey, thanks for listening to the Answers with Joe podcast. If you found this through the YouTube channel and you are not subscribed on iTunes or Google Play, I encourage you to do so. I'm going to be coming back with interviews and repeats of old videos just like this all the time. And if you found this on the podcast player, then uh, know I have a YouTube channel on, uh, well, on YouTube. Just do a little search for Answers with Joe and you'll find all kinds of fun science and comedy stuff to keep you entertained and thinking about cool stuff for the rest of the week. And you can find this in all my podcasts and all my videos at AnswersWithJoe.com. And if you enjoyed it, a nice review in the iTunes or Google Play Store goes a long way. And of course, word of mouth means everything. So anything you can do to help get the word out, I really appreciate it. Thanks again for listening. I will catch you next time. Have a good one.